This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear friends in Christ, in our Old Testament lesson, Naaman is sick. Before that point in his life, everything seemed to be going well. Everything seemed to be in his control. He had advanced throughout the ranks of the military until finally he had become the main commander of the army of Ben-Hadad of Syria. Naaman had led that army to many victories. As a result of his success, he's become extremely wealthy. He's gained not only in money, but he's also captured lots of slaves and servants from neighboring nations, especially from the neighboring nation of Israel, a land that was at that time weakening. Naaman had gained in all of that financial gain. He also had prestige. People would listen to what he said. He had the king's ear. Naaman even had an entourage that followed him around. He had a large home, a beautiful wife. Everything was in his control. Everything was going fine. Not now. Not since the sickness entered his life. Not just any illness, leprosy. And there's nothing that Naaman can do about his sickness. There is no cure in Naaman's day and age. Having control over his life won't make it disappear. Being a general, he cannot command his leprosy to leave. Naaman goes to the king whose ear he had. The king can't fix it. The king's government has no authority over leprosy. All the control that Naaman thought he had disappears. His family, his friends, his entourage begin to keep their distance from him, leaving him more and more alone. He loses his job. After all, no king wants to send an army out on a military campaign led by a man with leprosy who might die, who might spread the disease to the rest of the army, wiping out all their military power and troops.
Naaman's life had appeared to be under his control. But now he's sick. Now everything's falling apart. God is working in that, teaching Naaman that all of the things that he had had were merely idols. His illness is showing that for what it really is. But Naaman's pride can't cope. Naaman's pride won't let his life be out of his control. Naaman is panicked. Naaman is desperate. Desperate for a solution. As I mentioned, God is the one who is working through this. God still cares for Naaman. And God is going to show his mercy to Naaman. He does so in our Old Testament lesson through the mouths of a little slave girl that Naaman had captured on a military campaign in Israel. Through the mouth of that little slave girl, God sends Naaman a word, a sermon. The prophet in Israel can heal you. It really is amazing how often God works through such a simple word. Makes me think of all the other times in Scripture where God does that. The prophet in Israel can hear you, heal you. That becomes Naaman's hope. That becomes all that he is left with. So Naaman decides to go to Israel with great wealth, with gifts, with bribes. And through these things, Naaman hopes to secure healing for himself. He hopes to put life back under his control. He expects to buy a magic solution to make everything the way that it was before. But Naaman's not a religious man. The sermon was that the prophet in Israel can heal you. But instead of going to church, Naaman goes to the king of Israel. Heal me, Naaman says. The Israelite king doesn't know what to do any more than the Syrian king did. The king, the government of the day, at least knows one thing. He confesses it in our Old Testament lesson. That he is not God. That he does not have the authority as the ruler to heal or to not heal. To kill or to make alive. The king of Israel knows that only God can do that. Only God is the Lord of life. Only God has control over life issues. But the king of Israel 
also knows that God is not beholden to anyone. God does what God wants when God wants it. God is not under our command. Not under the command of a king, not under the command of a general, not under the command of any human being. Naaman went to the king of Israel, but that did not solve his problem. God doesn't stop working to bring Naaman to repentance. He sends Naaman another word, not through the mouth of a slave girl this time, nor through the mouth of the governments of the day, but instead through a preacher, Elisha. Elisha catches wind of the situation and sends word to the Israelite king that he knows how Naaman can be made well. It's the same message, essentially, that the slave girl had said. The prophet of Israel can help you. So reluctantly and finally, Naaman goes to church. To see the prophet, the preacher. Now he's still a little hesitant. After all, great men, they are very self-assured. They don't like listening to preachers. They're too sure in themselves. They're too prideful. Naaman isn't any different. He still wants healing but he still wants it on his own terms. He expects when he arrives at the church, at the preacher's house, for the preacher to come out and tell him how worthy he is for God to heal him, how great his accomplishments in life are, and how he has impressed God with all that he has done, so much so that God will heal him because of his worth. That's not the case right away. Perhaps the preacher will tell him, God wants you to do this great and wonderful action, and then he will heal you. Pagan myths are full of this all the time. Hercules is given his tasks. Jason must find the golden fleece. And then the gods are pleased. Naaman expects that's the way this God will work as well. At the very least, I suppose, by by Naaman's own words, he expects that the preacher will come out and dance a jig, wave his hands around, maybe clack some bones together. And that by the preacher's holiness... Then Naaman will be healed. This is what's going through Naaman's mind as he travels to Elisha's house. So imagine Naaman's surprise and anger and frustration. When the preacher doesn't even come out of his house himself, but instead sends a messenger... And merely says, be washed. 
be baptized. Be washed? Don't you think Naaman's tried washing away the leprosy? Don't you think he scrubbed his skin before he left home? Is the water of Israel more holy than the waters of Damascus? Be washed? Be baptized? What kind of a preacher is this? How could mere water do such great things? How could plain water rescue Naaman's life and control Naaman's pride doesn't want to believe. Naaman's sinful self rejects God's word and denies God's gifts. Now, dear Christian, a lot of our lives mirror Naaman's lives. We live in a tremendous time and place. Our lives have been full of blessings. Whether we are wealthy and influential like Naaman, or whether we're poor by United States standards, our lives are pretty comfortable. Most of the aspects of it are under our control. It's generally pretty easy to live in our day and age. We've become comfortable. Things have been calm, peaceful. But then, in the midst of our day-to-day lives, it seems that our world has suddenly ground to a stop. Pandemic! Sickness surrounds us. Maybe we ourselves have been sick. Our first reaction was like Naaman's reaction. We want it to be under our control. We want a way to fix it. We want the government to solve the problem, to restore our lives to the way they were before. Our pride can't cope with our lives being out of our control. We want a solution. We want it now. But things haven't been improving, have they? There has been no viable solution to what's going on. There won't be any healing by waving of a magic wand or dancing of a particular dance. There isn't a magic pill that will make the pandemic end. Patiently waiting hasn't improved things. We aren't any better off today than we were on day one. Just to be clear, 
in the midst of the pandemic, that's not the only challenge that we have faced, is it? Our loved ones are still getting sick with other things. There's still Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, and more. We still have the everyday normal surgeries, knee replacements, hip replacements, that are supposed to take place. We still have poverty. We still have struggles. Why doesn't God do something now? How often do I have to ask him? How often must I bust beg? Makes us angry. Naaman was angry. So too often are we. We're angry that prices are rising, that supplies are scarce, that sickness is increasing, that crime is on the rise, that people are stealing all the things in stores. We want things the way they were again. The good old days, you know, 2010. We want God to act. We want him to do so on our terms. We want him to do it now, to fix our problems. Our pride can't handle being out of control. Our sinful nature wants us to be the lords of our lives. In our Old Testament lesson, Naaman and his sin and his pride turned and began the week-long walk back to Damascus. But God isn't done working in Naaman's life. God sends a sermon, a word, again This time again through his slaves and servants. They say, Naaman, didn't the prophet say that you would be clean? What's the hurt in trying? I imagine that Naaman still didn't quite believe He walked step by step, all the same, down into the Jordan River Valley. And he dipped seven times in the Jordan River, according to the word of God, preached into his ear, sent from the man of God. And with the water and the word together, When Naaman came out of the water, he was healed. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. 
through the sevenfold washing in water, according to God's word, Naaman was clean. Dear Christian, God is at work in you. God sends his word to you. He sends his word to you in his own terms. God gives you his word the way God desires. God works through means, through preachers. He tells you through the words of preachers to repent of your sin, to repent of your pride, to repent of your anger. He tells you to repent of your love of the idols of this world. Control over your life, health, wealth, comfort, peace. He tells you to repent and turn away from these things. To be washed. To be baptized. Now, we don't baptize with seven dips in the water from the Jordan River. In fact, it's not the location of the water that matters. It's not the number of times that the water is placed on you at all. In fact, it's just plain water. But when plain water is attached to God's word, the sevenfold Holy Spirit is present in the water. And when the water and the word and God's spirit are there and that water is placed on you, it is a baptism, a glorious washing away of sin, the gift of eternal life. God gives his mercy to you through water. And it washes you clean of the leprous love of this world. It washes you clean of your idolatry. It washes you clean of your pride, of your wickedness. The things that have consumed your life. It washes you clean of the illnesses of this world. And promises you cleansing, healing, comfort, and peace. How can water do such great things? Because that water brings you Jesus. That water connects you to God himself. The one who has come and revealed, epiphanied himself to you is the one who works in water and word. In baptismal waters, Jesus takes all of your sin, weakness, illness, shame, guilt, wrong-heartedness away from you. He kills it on the cross. Your sin dies with Jesus. 
dies for good. Dies forever. Because your sin is gone, God gives you the gift of life. Life to the full. Life forever. Resurrected life is bestowed upon you in the waters of holy baptism by Jesus. And you can trust God's promise of life in baptismal waters because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Because Jesus is alive today, 2,000 years after he was born. Jesus is alive forever. He promises that you will live also. Forever. Because of the gift he bestowed upon you in baptismal waters. Now I want to be clear. You will die. Perhaps soon, perhaps later. Perhaps pandemically. Perhaps quietly in your sleep. Perhaps at an old age, perhaps at an age too young for us to understand. But in the water and word washing of God, you will live even if you die. You will live connected to the resurrection and the life, Jesus. You will live even if your flesh rots away with leprosy. You will live even if your lungs fill up with fluid. You will live even if your memory is erased. You will live even if cancer ravages your body. You will live even if your body is buried, decayed, and forgotten. Your name eroded from the gravestone above it. You will live Because of Jesus. Because God has washed you with water and word. So repent, dear Christian. Repent of the idols that you've grown accustomed to. Repent and be washed by God. Repent daily. Be washed daily. No, I don't mean be rebaptized, but return to your baptism, daily drowning your sinful nature so that a man of God might arise to live before God and before the world. Let God be God and do things the way he sees fit. And trust that what he sees as fit is your salvation. Let God be God and sustain you no matter what challenges arise. Unafraid, for you will live forever. Repent like Naaman and be cleansed by the waters of rebirth and renewal poured out by the Holy Spirit generously upon you. Repent and be baptized. Dear Christian, living 
that way, repentantly, is a glorious thing. Living in baptismal waters lets God care for you as he promises to in the Apostles' Creed, sustaining you in your everyday life, giving you clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that you have, redeeming you, purchasing and winning you from sin, death, and the power of the devil, calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying you, bringing you here into the Christian church, acting as a Christian with the people around you, being the mouth that preaches those short sermons. Come and see what God does for repentant sinners. Whether we live long or die sooner, in Christ, our end is always the same. Eternity, life, peace, courageousness. In Jesus, in water, in word, we are free. That's the baptized life. That's you. In the name of Jesus, amen. This has been With Intrepid Heart Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, With Intrepid Hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.